Get on with it, Macca. I will. Thanks, Digger, and welcome to the Australia All Over Macca podcast. If this is your first time listening, remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I know Dick Smith always listens to the podcast if he can't make Sundays. This week, the return of vinyl, well, it never went away, really. Plus, the usual calls from all over that help us stay grounded. On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia on a Sunday morning. Robert's in Greenvale, is that right, in the phone box? Good morning, Robert. Yeah, good morning, Maker. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Beautiful day up here today. I'm standing in the telephone box outside the post office. In me togginess, uh, Conquer the Corrugation is on uh, mental health. 42-kilometre walk between Archer River and Cohen. Yeah, trying to tie a few things in, Mac. I retired. Well, I tried to retire this year, but that's just not going to happen. What do you do? I cut chook shit, Macca. We look after two and a half million chooks. We wow. cut the fresh manure away. Keeps us busy. I left me mate, Don. He's looking after it at the moment. It's not an easy job. We do about 200 tonne a week. Most times we tipped in paddocks, and I, you can imagine what it's like trying to get 42 tonne into a paddock this time of the year. Yeah. Not easy. I think now a lot of these mining camps that the fly-in, fly-out. It's a bit of a shame because you don't get to keep your family with you, which I think can be a problem with, with mental health if you haven't got your family yeah, around. Exactly. It stresses everything. Keep smiling, mate. That'll be great. I wish I was with you, mate. Um, yeah, I wish you were here too, Macca. N- not in the phone box, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby. Good on you, mate. No worries. Nice. No worries. Love your work, mate. Thanks, Bye. mate. Bye. Sunday morning. Yeah, Macca in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. I wait all week for Macca. On a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books as Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. In Turak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. That chance. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning. That was Robert last week. He was uh, He's at the moment, I think, conquering the corrugations up there between Archer River and Cohen. There's a number of people doing that. And that's it's Mental Health Month, isn't it, Kel? Mental Health Month as well as um, Veterans Health Week till the 9th of October. And getting out there, as people say all the time, getting out there and doing stuff, especially in bushy areas and stuff like that, they say that's even better. Walking is good for you. But if you walk in bushland areas, and our technical producer is doing that all the time, and he's look, he's he loses weight. It's just fantastic. He hasn't do hasn't been doing it quite as much lately. So he's he's put on a little. We just gave him we gave him because he's our technical producer and we travel a bit. We've given him a our t-shirt, which has just uh, just arrived. Uh, and I said, "What size do you take?" And he says, "Oh, it'd be a medium, medium." And I said, yeah, oh, you'd be extra large, wouldn't you? Um, he said, no, 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 medium. So he's put the medium on and, uh, you know, it's Peter's busting out all over. Wasn't it a show? Peter's busting out all over. Uh, but, yeah, he's promised to take weight off. But anyway, um, good morning and welcome wherever you are. Daylight saving has begun in those states that have begun daylight saving um, and those who haven't, um, haven't, if you know what I mean. Um, our number's thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Did you get those emails, Kel? Not yet. Um, last week on the All Over News, we talked about banks, didn't we, Kel? Um, and Dale Webster uh, was mentioning the closure of banks, and she's got a petition into the federal parliament. She says, uh, since we spoke last week, Westpac has closed another thirteen regional branches, including 
in these cuts are four towns that will lose their last bank, Carnamar in WA and Coobapedi, Kapunda and Talon Bend in South Australia. Hay in New South Wales will now be down to its last major bank. A closure in Catherine in the Territory means that the NT has lost half its regional banks in the space of a few months. The <sighs> situation getting critical, she says. The banks, Westpac in particular, seem set on closing regional branches. One of your listeners also warned me that ANZ has started an aggressive campaign to migrate customers onto smart ATMs. So tellers are no longer needed. If you could please remind people about my petition, they're not just closing in regional areas, they're closing in your suburb, wherever you are. If you could remind people about my petition calling for an immediate moratorium on regional bank closures. What about all bank closures? But anyway, this is regional bank closures and a new joint parliamentary banking inquiry. It would be appreciated, says Dale. As I said, it's a direct voice to Canberra as the treasurer, Chalmers, must respond. The e-petition is EN4244. We have 3,500 signatures, but we need a lot more to make a real impact before it closes on Wednesday night. That number... E-petition is EN4244. And good morning wherever you are. A bit of rain around, a lot of water around the place. Um, Dartmouth Dam is overflowing. And Lenny said at night you can hear the roar of the water going over. There's a lot of water around. And I fear, according to the bomb, more is to come. More is to come. Uh, lots of things happening. It's a long weekend for uh, many, and um, there you go. But we'll talk to you the, this morning. Our number's 1300 700 G'day, this is Macca. How are you, Macca? I'm Luke. I'm from WA, uh, Mandra, WA. Uh-huh. Once a year I come over to the east and visit my daughter. This year I trucked my vehicle over to Brisbane, flew over, picked it up, and then I do a trip back across the Malabar, and I enjoy that very much on the open road. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you do. What a good thing to do, Lukey. I just, um, I've got a few cars, so this time I brought the, the good old Aussie station wagon, mm. and I just sleep in the back of it, and uh, roadhouses, that sort of thing, and I just take my time, and I really enjoy, love being on the open road. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic, especially if you're, if you're not on a... If you're not on a schedule, you know, if you can stop that's and right. say, that's a nice place, I'll stop here for a day or meet some people or whatever, you find something that's going on in the place. I think that's the that's the way to live life, Luke, if, if you're yeah. time rich. Yeah, that's right. Working for yourself, there's no fixed time. And it's those small country towns that I um, I really love, you know. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are so proud of their country towns. Well, and, and so they and, should um, be. We should be proud of all of our country wherever we live, uh, Luke. I think it's great. Now, where are you this morning? What's that, sorry? Where are you at the moment? Uh, just south of Byron Bay. I've been right up to Chichilla and all that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm working my way down to Tivigal. And then I'll go down through Walgary, uh, Wagga Wagga, through the, um, the plains on the uh, Yass and uh, Hay, the Hay Plains. Wow. There, and then through to uh, Port Augusta, Sejuna. And then I take my time across the Nullarbor and then <laughs> go down to Esperance, across to Albany. Work my way up to uh, Bridgetown and then up through to back down to Mandra. So you're a man of yeah. leisure. You're a man of leisure, are you, Luke? At the yes, moment, yes, at this time, yeah, yeah, this time, now, stage of life at this point in time. Yeah, good on you. Now, what did, did you want to tell me something else? Or? Uh, 
Did you want to tell me something uh, else? Did you? Oh, oh yeah, the other thing was um, <coughs> when I was younger, in the Navy, the, one of the cars I bought, the first car I bought, was a, a GD Falcon XA two-door, and that came solely with the um, the eight-track cassette, the oh, big yeah. bulky cassette. Oh and yeah. They sort of came in for two years, and then they phased out. Yeah, though, like a big cart, like a cartridge. Yeah, that's right. And there was, the thing with that was that it was a never-ending tape couldn't go to the end of the tape. It was set up in such a way that there was no end just the tape. Just kept playing. That's right, yeah. Wonderful things, and they sounded great too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they called them an 8-track, because there's only actually four channels on them, or four tracks, but they called them an 8-track. So have you still got your GT? No. <laughs> no, I haven't got that. That got written off. <laughs> I went, I've, I've sacrificed... Oh, I've, I've got the next closest thing, sort of Aussie two. Well, that's not Aussie, just two door. It's American two door, and that's the uh, the Pontiac, the Trans Am. Yeah. There you go. All right, Luke. Well, that's a lovely thing to do. Ship your car over and then drive it back. Yeah, it's great because you don't cover the same ground, and no. I've done that for the last five years. Oh, right. That's, that's the way to live life, mate. Yeah. All right. Good on you, Luke. Great to talk to you, mate. Yep, no worries. Thanks for that. Thanks, mate. Bye. Alex is in Heidelberg. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. I'm ringing to say that I'm going this morning to make a blood donation for the first time in many years because I'm no longer considered a mad cow. I see, because you were in England sometime, were you? I was. I lived in England in 1990. I was nursing over there. And uh, it was, obviously, it was a few years after that that they decided no, no blood products. And uh, I've always been a very regular blood donor, and it was a real wrench not to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to put it out there for anyone who might be in the same situation and isn't aware, you're now able to give blood. How long did you have, do you have to wait? Were you supposed to wait if you'd been living in England and indeed eating, oh, eating meat? You couldn't. You couldn't. You just couldn't. They, was, they just wouldn't take the risk, which is fair enough because it was still... But now you they know, can think, take the risk. Is that, that the story? Yeah. Well, that they just hasn't. It hasn't come to pass that people have been developing it, so they no longer think it's worth them. It's no more risky than a lot of other stuff out there, if you like, that you wouldn't even know you had. Uh huh. So, in order to get more blood donors, and I'm B negative, so I'm only two percent of the population. So I give blood in case I need it myself one day. I suppose so, but um, Alex, and you like giving blood for why? Because you feel like you're doing a good thing, or you. It's, it's habit forming. Oh, well, that too. But no, I worked in nursing for many years and I just lived with the blood shortages all the time mm. and the problems of not having blood available. So I've always thought, well, it's easy enough and you get some nice mince pies and a cup of tea afterwards. There you go. Now, a weather report for Heidelberg. That's where you are, Alex, isn't it? Yep, seven degrees, very still. Sun just starting to come up very early. And uh, really just feels like spring at last. Does it really? There you go. There you go. Because it's been pretty cold in Melbourne this winter, hasn't it? Oh, very. And it was brutal. The start just was bang. I think it was (laughs) June the 1st or the 2nd. And it was just all of a sudden down to single temperatures at night. And it's been quite relentless. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I was on a um, train up to... I took a train to the XPT and visited a friend in Colcairn. It's about 50 k's north of Albury. Mm. And I couldn't believe it when we crossed the Murray. There's just water lying everywhere on either side. Yep. And the whole time I was up there for two days, it drizzled. 
but everything was just soaking, walking over her lawn, you know, squelch, squelch, squelch. And uh, I know that we needed the rain and so on, but by gum, they're sick of it. Oh, we're sick of it. Yeah, bring back the drought is the sign in the back of the car that I was behind a couple of oh, a couple of months oh, ago no, now. Bring back no. the drought. And, you know, that's a terrible thing to say in Australia, but God help me. I think yeah. we're just over this water big time and it's lying in pools everywhere. Well, not everywhere. You know what I mean? It's And, yes, uh, and there's more to come. The, and, and those communities that have been through so much with flooding this year, you know, just another insult to turn on the weather and think, oh, there's more rain coming. And isn't Australia an amazing place? And that's why Dorothea wrote that droughts and flooding rains. We the And that bloke who said, or it was a lady said, uh, yes, we get weather in Australia. The trouble is we get too much of it and, and we never get halves, do we? The, no. You, you read about extremes. Ireland where the lovely, there's a lovely sprinkling of rain overnight in Ireland. We get loads. I was going to say something. We get loads of loads of drought and loads of lashing. When it rains, it really rains. And when oh. there's none, it's dry as a chip. Yep. Unbelievable. Uh, for, my, for memory, when I was travelling in Ireland, they used to call it sheltering rain. <laughs> <laughs> which meant what? You'd... Just a gentle mist all over the top of everything, a mist of rain, yeah, not they... not the big deluges. But then we've had people in the tropics living with the, the downpours for so long. I, yeah. I guess it's it's a big indication that maybe we the built environment is contributing. Yeah, but you know, up in the up in the tropics, they get a wet season and then they have a dry season. I mean, yeah. and that's what you get. You're used to it. Or if you live in Innisfail or you know a Tully up there, that it just rains all the time. Or you know, in in the northwest of uh, America, you know, it rains all the time there. In what's the name of that place? Anyway, I can't think of it. Doesn't matter. But um, Seattle. Yeah, it's up around there. Yeah, rains and rains and rains. But um, no, we just get flooding rains and droughts and flooding rains and droughts. And nothing, nothing in, nothing in halves. We get uh, Alex. Alex, well, what's Alex? Is that Alex short for Alexandria? Alexandra. Yeah, Alexandra. Yeah. Oh, there you go. But I only get that when my mother was cross with me, or I'm at the dentist. <laughs> Alexandra. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. Nice to talk Sir? to you this morning. <laughs> okay. Good bye. On, good on you. Bye. Good day. This is Maka. Hello, Maka. It's Peter. I bring it from the Hunter Valley. Hi, Pete. Just, just bringing up, let you know, I'm just um, carting horses, mares and foals around the Hunter Valley. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful morning here. A lot of fog and that, but uh, one of the best seasons we've seen as far as the landscape goes, like the paddocks are all full of grass and yeah. feed. And, uh, yeah, just running mares and around to the different stands around the Hunter Valley, go up to Whitten Valley. Beautiful place, Wheaton Valley and uh, Kilmore, down Jerry's Bay, up in Skye. And, so, the, uh, and these are thoroughbreds, are they, Pete? Yeah, thoroughbreds, thoroughbreds, yeah, yep. Yeah, the stallions probably get three to four mares a day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're all high high rollers and, and uh, you know, it's a pretty uh, big-name mares. Like you've, got to, you've got to transport them pretty steady because the foals are only a couple weeks old, you know, they, they're not real steady on their feet, but uh, it's amazing motherhood, like the mares, when they couple with the foals, yeah, they, uh, they're very caring sort of uh, animals and whoever on their feet. And, and, uh, Mo- but, uh, mothers are the same all over, Pete, aren't they? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. 
they react to the falls and they talk to the falls and the falls talk to them back and <laughs> it's just uh, it breaks your heart when you when you separate them. Yeah, there you go. But uh, it's a big business now, isn't it, racing? And uh, and especially now, this is the time, isn't it, spring and all that sort of stuff? As far as, like, a lot of Irish people come out here, over exchange workers. Uh, Kilmore, i just been to Kilmore, nearly all their staff, all the staggers here, they're all Irish, and, uh, and they uh, shuttle, like, with the... With the stallions, so they come out here with the stallions. Yeah, there you go. You'll look after them, I suppose. So, Pete, where are you? Where's home for you? I live in Marundi. All oh, right, yeah, Mar- nice spot. And, and um, do a lot of work out of Emirates, Emirates Park up there. Yeah. But the thoroughbred industry is thriving, mate. Is that, that much work? Anyone's looking for jobs, like as far as the thoroughbred uh, industry, the farms, like farm hands, stallion hands, they need stable. It. Yeah, there's that many jobs up here. It's not funny. It's uh, we've yeah. got the mining industry here as well, but uh, like there's, there's that many jobs up here. It's a beautiful place to work and live. Good on you, Pete. Great to talk to you, mate. See you, Macca. See you, matey. Yeah. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. Michael Gallus via Nukumbar Cattle Station via Melbourne, coming to you live <laughs> from Islamabad, Pakistan. You little champion. How are you, Michael? Yes, going well. Over here as the uh, coach of the AFL, Pakistan national men's and women's team conducting trials across. Uh, today we're in Swabi. Tomorrow we're in Multan. The next day in Lahore. The next day in Gujawala to choose the top 20 AFL players from men's and women in the country to take to the Asian Cup in Thailand on October 22nd. How exciting, Michael. How that's, Those names are easy for you to say, of course. Um, but yeah, that's an, you're lucky, aren't you? That's an exciting thing to do. How is it there? Where are, you're in Islamabad this morning or this evening? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. 30, 36 degrees during the day and 22 at night. Um, the talent, extraordinary potential and extraordinary passion and love for the game here in uh, Pakistan. You'd never believe it. And we're going to give it a good shake in uh, Thailand at the Asian Cup. We're certainly going to provide some surprises. Mate, uh, yeah, that's interesting because we had a call some, oh, last year, year before. There was uh, in, where were they, Kel? In um, just out of, on the other side of China, not Nepal, but um, they, were, they had a cricket team and he said they were, the, the play, they, he said they'll be playing in the World Cup in 50 years or 15 years, but... Um, he said they were so keen, and the women were technically better than the men in lots of ways. They took more notice of, of the technical, the best way to do whatever. This was playing cricket. But, um, yeah, I suppose it's the same with the, the football too, is it? Yeah, exactly right. And I tell you, the Pakistani women are extremely resilient, courageous, and determined. So, And you get them on the footy field, I tell you what, Maka, I'm glad I'm not getting tackled by them because they go hard. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So tell me, what's it like being in Islamabad? You've been there before, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I rang in from uh, 2019. Oh, it's just great. The food is magnificent. I get treated like a king. They're so welcoming and friendly. And um, it's just amazing being back. It's uh, seriously like my second home. And uh, their passion 
they have grown the game themselves. I'm the only Australian twice to visit. They've been playing since 2014, self-taught off YouTube. Now we have um, 12 clubs across the country. We've got 10 accredited coaches in level one, one accredited AFL coach in level two, and um, nearly up to thousands of players across junior and senior levels. And the rise and rise of AFL in Pakistan will just continue on. And it won't be long, Maka, in the women and the men. We've got a really good amount of Irish AFLW uh, and AFL players. But seriously, the next uh, the goal is the next five years to have a professional Pakistani uh, AFL men's and AFL women's player on the list playing. There you go. Now, tell me this: How do you? They speak English, or what? You got an interpreter, <laughs> or, or what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interpreter. They speak Urdu. I thought they all spoke spoke Urdu, and today in Swabi they speak Pashto. So uh, yeah, every, depending on which region I'm in, because I've been picking up a few of the Urdu uh, words that we need. But it's the language of sport, isn't it, Maka? That uh, you don't need to speak the language of the the people if you can show them what they need to do. And um, the language of sport is universal. It's just extraordinary to see. And a big happy birthday to my mum. Lois Gallus, 80, 80 years, and uh, certainly miss Australia, miss my family. Happy birthday, Lois Gallus, 80 years. I'm talking to Michael. He's from Nungumbara, Melbourne, and places in between, but he's in Islamabad this morning. What's the time there at the moment? Yeah, uh, <laughs> 1.30 a.m. Mecca, oh, wow. and uh, got up at 7 o'clock, drove two hours to Swabi, Four-hour clinic in uh, 38 degrees sunlight. Drove two hours back. Another four-hour meeting. And now uh, talking to you, we're on breakfast, uh, Pakistan Islamabad breakfast TV at uh, 5 a.m. So uh, fantastic. You're living life here in Pakistan. Never a dull moment. Wow. Wouldn't it be just exciting? What a great privilege, uh, Michael, to be able to yeah, go somewhere and actually work there and meet the people and be part of the whole deal and, and they'd be looking to you. I suppose if you can't, you just demonstrate how to do things. Do you kicking and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, exactly right. Then they're extremely passionate about their sport, obviously, with cricket, but also... Um, soccer, uh, basketball, hockey, and uh, the reason they can adapt so well to AFL is that they play a game called Kabati, which uh, people watch AFL and think it's a crazy game. You watch Kabati, it's all wrestling and bumping and jumping. So you basically <laughs> combine all their sports with Kabati, you got a ready-made AFL player. It's just extraordinary. <laughs> so, Michael, how long are you there for, and, and then what do you do? Yeah, here for another uh, two weeks, and then we fly to Thailand for the Asian Cup against uh, 20 teams across Asia for AFL. Um, that's on a Saturday, so I'll give you a ring on the Sunday in a couple of weeks and let you know how we've gone. Mm. Back in Melbourne for four days, and then back to Nukumbar Cattle Station, outback oh. WA for the last six weeks of term. We'll have to come to Nukumbar. Uh, I remember when Shane Warne was touring India, and he said, no... Blow this, he says, I'm taking baked beans and Coca-Cola or something, and he took it over. <laughs> Tell me, what do you eat? You said the food's fabulous, but what do, you, what, what do you get for your, you know, like lunch or dinner or whatever? Yeah, today today we're in uh, Swabi, which is famous for its chicken kebabs, 
So we had chicken kebab with naan bread and rice. Uh-huh. Um, omelet, Pakistani omelets every day for breakfast, which is like our normal omelet, but full of spices and chili. Oh, so you can imagine I'm sitting on the toilet a fair bit, Macca, on the toilet a fair bit. But, um, you know, that's part Too of the Too much game, information. It? Uh, <laughs> oh, Michael, you're a champion. All right, good on you, mate. You keep in touch and good luck. Thanks, Mac. A big shout out to my beautiful wife, Amanda, and kids, Tommy, Lily, and Ben Gallows, because without their support, nothing like this happens. And uh, great to be back on, Mac. A shout out to everyone in Australia that uh, you can make a difference anywhere in the world if you have a go. You're making a difference over there, Michael, and spread the word. Tell them we love them and, yeah, spread the, spread the love. Spread the love, Michael. Thanks, Mac. They love Australia because. Uh, the Australian cricket team was here very recently and uh, that made such an impact <laughs> on all the people in Pakistan that um, the Australian cricket team came over and played against them. And uh, every single person here in Pakistan loves Australia and um, we need to start loving Pakistan back. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Michael. Cheers, Macca. Bye. Good day, this is Macca. Hello, Macca. Yeah. Mate, I'm just ringing you to let you know that Dartmouth Dam in northeast Victoria has finally overflowed after 26 years. Oh wow! Yeah, somebody told me about another dam that was overflowing, or full, full as a, full as a, uh, as they say, full as a state school. Um, yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah, so, mate, it's a, it, it's a real spectacle, Macker. It just hasn't gone over for 26 years. They didn't expect it to go this year, but as you know, there's been a fair bit of rain around, oh. and mate, she's she's flowing over. Uh. And and uh, Lenny, there's more. The thing that excites and worries me is that there's more rain around the corner. Apparently, yeah, there is. There is, mate. I'm I'm in town, which is about probably four k away from the dam. What's t- what town's that? I can that? hear it roaring every night. Really? Yeah, mate. It's really fun over. Yeah, it's a spectacle. It's it's magnificent. And Dartmouth's a town too. Yeah, a little town, mate. There's only about well, 70, 80 residents in town, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a real big thing, mate. They're, yeah, there's people coming from everywhere. South Australia, Northern Territory. Yeah, they. I've never seen so many different registered cars in town. We should we should do an OB there. We should go and do an OB and talk to all the people from all over. Well, mate, you want to be here. Apparently, if we get where, I've heard there's going to be a hundred mil of rain in this week coming. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, I, I pity the poor buggers down around Aubrey and that if it really lets go. Well, everywhere. The poor buggers everywhere, Lenny. Um, there's rain uh, rain around the corner. Listen, I've got to fly, but great to talk to you, Lenny. You keep in touch. No worries, pal. Bye. Nice to talk to you. This is the All Over News. And from our numismatic correspondent, Philip Desborough, he says, Ian, uh, lately there have been articles in newspapers and at times silly letters to the editor and silly pronunciations by politicians, I should add, about who should appear in our currency. So to clarify, coins. The now King Charles appeared on our coins reverse side in 1981, as were the Prince of Wales with Diana, Princess of Wales. The denominations were the Royal Wedding 50-cent coin, and the $200 gold coin. In Britain recently, as quoted by the Royal Mint Chief, the first coins bearing the effigy of His Majesty King Charles III will enter circulation in line with demand from banks and post offices. 
Here in Australia, says Philip, 2023 appears to be the year that they will appear in circulation. As regards banknotes, to have your portrait appear on our notes, you need to be deceased for at least 30 years. Secondly, there's a lot of tradition in relation to who appears and the main colour of our notes. Queen Elizabeth appeared on our notes from 1953 on the one pound note. She then appeared on our dollar note from 1966. The keynote of this era was the Coombs stroke Randall note of 1968. She then appeared on our polymer notes from 1992 till now. As can be seen, since decimal currency, our lowest denomination banknote has been reserved for the monarchy. And I would not be surprised, says Philip, if this tradition continues. The Bank of England expects the notes with the portrait of King Charles to enter circulation in mid-2024. Expect the same here. Regards, says Philip Desborough. This is the All Over News, and the title is What Goes Around Comes Around or Everything Old is New Again. It was back, I reckon, in the 1990s, and we were releasing another compilation album here of songs from Australia all over, and I was told, no, no cassette, no LP, just CDs from now on. I was horrified, so I arranged to get a few hundred LPs done. Actually, a friend of mine at Abbey Road helped me, and that's where they were done, in England. We were subsequently told that in future it was the end of cassettes, end of LPs, and now, of course, we're being told it's the end of CDs. There's been no CD players in cars I read since 2010, the Lexus, but I think Volkswagen had a CD in their glove box, and that was about 2014, 15, something like that. I had a note the other day from my correspondent Gwen in Perth, and she reported that vinyl sales are the biggest in 30 years, and I suspect climbing. There are firms in Australia still pressing vinyl. One of them is Zenith Records in Melbourne, and the boss of Zenith is Paul Rigby, and he's on the line. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good, mate. Now, tell me this. Take yourself back uh, 30 years, vinyls dying in the bum, as it were. Mm -hmm. Why, when all was falling around you, did you say to yourself, oh, this is a good idea. Let's keep pressing vinyl. Well, for a lot of us, it never really died. We sort of lamented. We were were slow to take up the CD medium. We were happy with the vinyl medium as it was. And, of course, a lot of people were trading in their collections and um, upgrading to CDs. And... Uh, lo and behold, in the second-hand market, there was all the records I wanted, quite a community of, of people that were buying and selling records. And there was just one little plant here in Melbourne that had sort of resurrected itself, plant equipment that was destined to be scrapped. My business partner, 15 years, sort of took it over as a bit of a retirement pursuit. Uh, we were getting a lot of call for vinyl, and it was we were sourcing it from overseas. We had a, a facility here in Melbourne that was really underutilised. So who's buying vinyl now? Tell tell us the that kids. story. The so- kids, 15 to 30-year-olds are buying vinyl. And why? In ridiculous numbers. Well, what we'd been led to believe that w- was that with the free availability of, you know, of music, whether downloaded, pirated, streamed on your mobile phone, vinyl became a bit of a merchandise item. So you bought the T-shirt, you bought the vinyl record. You might not even play the vinyl record. You might have a download card in the vinyl record, download it all, but it was a bit of a, um, bit of a keepsake something that was bragworthy right from the onset. It was, you know, if we're going back, say, 15 years ago, it was a younger demographic. Why 
since there have been this renaissance in vinyl. And I could go on and on and on, Ian. But An individual thing, really. Some like it for the sound because the sound sounds better, what they're used to. And some for Australians are great with taking up gimmicks, so it's a bit of a gimmick too, I suppose. And they're amazed that you can get all this information on the, on the cover of an LP and lovely pictures and all well, that sort of stuff. It's tactile. There's a ritual to playing it. You know, it's not, it's, you know, some say we love it for its expense and its inconvenience. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is a nostalgic classic form. You know, you buy a little CD. The CD was by and large devalued. You know, when they first came out, it, everyone was very dazzled by CDs. But, you know, by the 2000s, when you're getting them free with newspapers, and you're getting them free on the cover of magazines and their DVDs for free on the cover of magazines. I think collectively the, the market sort of said, well, we don't need this. We'll listen to it streamed. But there was a want out there to sort of go back to vinyl. It maintained a continuum with, you know, you can put your record on vinyl, you know, press your, your 150 or 200 copies of vinyl. And it sits in the racks with your with your Beatles and your Led Zeppelin and your Pink Floyd. Musicians can't sell CDs anymore and they'll pick up, you know, pennies on their digital royalties and they can make something, you know, on the on, on the vinyl. But the margins aren't are never gonna go back to where they were with CDs when it cost you a dollar to make or two dollars to make it, you could sell it for fifteen. So tell me you're making vinyl albums. Tell me what you're making these days and what you were making, say, ten, fifteen years ago. We sort of set up our bread and butter was 150 to 300 run size. Then, like in the last two years, you know, we've done runs of 20,000, 30,000, oh, 20, 25,000. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to do a run of 5,000 records for bigger titles, bigger releases. We still do the 150s, the 250s, the 300s. But those customers that would have been doing 300 records, say, you know, three or four years ago are now doing doing 1,000, 1,500. Is the CD on its way out or is that going to come back? I think they'll always maintain a, a niche of something. It's like cassettes have come back, not to the same volumes and extents that, that, that vinyl has in itself. So uh, will, you know, the CD may come back in a bit of a gimmicky form um, like the cassette has. People love cassettes. I mean, I've always loved cassettes. But, uh, you know, in terms of collectability and longevity, whether consciously or unconsciously, people see that vinyl's forever. And maybe 30, 40, 50 years, something that might have been put out, you know, like released and pressed to a run of 150 may start to command, you know, huge money. You know, so at the moment, vinyl's king again. And the vinyls in your rack at home are really the story of your life, aren't they? Like books. <laughs> well, the vinyl... My, my wife has no idea how much vinyl I've, I've accumulated here. So, you know, the story of my life carries on, Ian. Paul Rigby, great to talk to you, mate, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Ian. Take care. You might remember that we've been playing this song. It's on high rotation for the last three weeks or so. It's called The Kelpie Co-Pilot. It's a song written by Frank Marquette, and he's written, and he says, Ian, thanks for the continued airplay of Kelpie Co-Pilot. He says, there are reported 20,000-plus tracks like that uploaded onto Spotify in the USA every day. That's 20,000 people writing songs and getting them uploaded every day. To be able to achieve airplay of any track is very difficult, especially for an independently produced and published song. So thank you again for your support. As many are called, but few are chosen. We have eight songs recorded for a new album, but who buys CDs now? For $11.99 a month, student discounted price $5.99 per month, 
you can access and download 50 million songs on Spotify. Brooke McClymont of the McClymonts recently told a Country Music Association of Australia coaching class that fans are just downloading single tracks from Spotify and other sites rather than buy CDs from the merchandise table of live shows. New vehicles do not have CD players installed, as we've talked about. The first factory-installed car CD player was in 1984, says Frank, and the last was in 2010, the Lexus. I think it's probably a bit later than that in other cars, but anyway. So that's the music business as it stands, and the business is busted compared to what it was. Frank continues, Recently you've been talking about the beauty of glass. Well, it's actually the year of glass, which we didn't know about, but now we do. As a schoolboy, says Frank Marquette, as a schoolboy in Sydney's eastern suburbs in the 60s, an annual excursion was a day off school to allow a visit to industry, where a group of four classmates could choose an industry to visit and report back as a project in class. That was the era of black and white television. And one of the major on-screen advertisers of the day was ACI, Australian Consolidated Industries, who sponsored a weekly popular television show. For example... Alfred Hitchcock presents. The coined advertising phrase was the ACI trademark, Good Things Come in Glass, which was continually repeated during the TV advertisements. Our group decided to visit the ACI Glassworks in South Dowling Street, Waterloo. My most vivid memory of the visit was watching the glassblowers who would free-blow a molten glob of glass using just the air in their lungs and cheeks through a blow tube to fashion large bottles of varying shapes while continually rotating the blow tube to create the desired form. The workers performing the glass blowing all had permanently stretched cheeks, like the trumpet player Dizzy Gillespie. Good things do come in glass, rather than plastic, as can be demonstrated between the taste of a stubby or a glass of draft beer, as compared to the taste from an aluminium can. Best wishes, says Frank Marquette. Oh, Margaret Harrison. Good morning, Margaret Harrison. How are you? I'm well, Mac, and yourself? Yeah, not bad. Where are you? Um, I'm in Kadanara, um, on beautiful Lake Argyle. So um, you get around, don't you? You. I do. You, I do. We were just. I was just. I don't know if you heard it earlier, but we we did a little thing. I went to the Con, uh, the Conservatorium of Music, yes, the, the I other heard night. All of that. And yes. and um, it was a sort of tribute night to to Donny. Um, and uh, people who'd known Donnie and some of the musicians playing some of his music, and and I thought of you and Donnie un, in the in the stubble in the wheat stubble field <laughs> with uh, Kevin Hunt on the piano and Donnie playing there at Mungandai for oh, God's sake all those years ago. It was a bit of magic, and look, it, we we owe a great debt to um, Don Burrows and um, Kevin Hunt because he made those festivals for us at um, Mungandai. So, and he was so generous; he never charged us a thing. He just wanted to come to the bush. And play music for the people. He, so, was, he was unbelievable, wasn't he? He He's, was a magic man. Yeah, <laughs> magic man. And I remember that. And I turned. I went up there. I flew up to Moree yeah, and I drove. And yeah. I and here I get into Mungandai, which is you know two horses and a dog and a couple of yeah, that's whatever, right. couple yeah. of people. And here's there's musicians on every street corner. A little trio here and a quartet here and some singers over there. And they're all from most of them from the con. Young kids and I know beautiful. Beautiful. It was, it was yeah. a lovely weekend, wasn't it? It was amazing. We only had three festivals. We sort of um, we became sort of a victim of our own success, really. And then once I left Mungandai, you know, like really, no one else was silly enough to take it on. I think and Mark, the wonderful Mark Walton, he, you know, he he was great too for us. So, so Mark, um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Harrison is a lovely correspondent to our program and a great writer, I'll tell you, a great writer of all sorts of stories and bits and pieces. What are you, why are you in Kununurra? What are you doing there? Oh, we're doing a project up here, um, Macca. We're um, getting developing some irrigation country so on the Ord scheme. So we're the um, last farm before the Northern Territory. So and grow food and stuff with people. Just watch that. Just watch that phone there, Mark. It's uh, breaking up. So sit still and keep talking. <laughs> yes, I will, Mac. Look, uh, where uh, it's remote and and the Wi-Fi is not, you know, the data is not very good. So I'll do my best. So you might have to read for me later if um if it doesn't work out. Right. Okay. You've got something to tell us now. What's what's uh, what's what did you want to tell um, us? I got such sad news from Mungandai. I mean, it might have made the local news in Queensland or. I don't know. But a beautiful young pilot from Mungandai, ag pilot, was killed while flying his planes while spraying a paddock. Uh, they think that a bird came through the cockpit. I don't know the official sort of thing, but and you know the consequences were immediate and catastrophic. But I think the thing what I want people to know is that you know, like one in a town from Mungandai, he was um, I've known him since he was born. He's friends with my son and family, and um, yes, we just sort of the impact of these that sort of loss is terrible for a small town. So they're all grieving, and I know when I heard the news, I just wanted to go back immediately to Mungandai to be with people I knew because it was such shocking news. What was and, what, I mean, what was his name? His name was Tom Gray, mm-hmm. the beautiful Tom Gray, and I mean he was just like you might imagine a a pilot to be, you know, a handsome young devil and, you know, beautiful dark brown curls, you know, white teeth, those long eyelashes. But inside he was just a beautiful soul. So, um, and I mean, I don't want to make out that he was a saint. He wasn't. I think he partied too hard and, you know, like, and did silly things like all of our children do. Um, But um, he was just a a beautiful, beautiful person and... um, his family and the whole the whole district, in fact, is grieving for this boy. And I mean, it's risky business being an ag pilot. We lose two a year, and we really need them to grow our food. So, um, and there's only hundreds of ag pilots in Australia, not thousands. So, they're a small, tight knit group, but they're essential. And you know. we had one uh, who rings from time to time, rang us last week, and and I'm talking to people this morning, and and you know a lot of the country in in Australia at the moment is wet; you can't get on it. So that's right. Uh, you yeah. need ag pilots for weeds and all sorts of stuff, and even they sometimes sow with ag pilots because it's so wet. And there's been so much damn rain. Um, I mean, we love rain, oh. but God help me, there's a limit, isn't there? That's right, Mac. And if we didn't have these um, these brave young people, sort of, and it is like it's it's uh, you know you have to be very skillful, and you know they fly low and at high speeds, like, and then this ran you know something random like a bird coming through the cockpit, mm. you know, like it's um like yes, I say these people are essential, and I don't think we probably appreciate the work they do so much or appreciate the danger of it. Mm. Now you've written something uh, about um, about young Tom, haven't you? I have, Maka. I um, look. I've written on like it's on behalf of his family, but it's just, in fact, I suppose it's just you know it's for those people who would have liked one more conversation with him. Um, 
And in fact, I suppose I wrote it for anyone who's lost someone and really didn't get to say goodbye. And a lot that includes a lot of us, I think, Margaret. I know. Um, my husband recently lost his father, but, you know, um, nearly 90. Had wonderful time with him. Everything got said. So you feel when, you know, when he died that it felt sort of right. Mm. Um, we miss him, of course. But, but these shocking sort of, you know, ones that... Rand, just, random events. They're terrible. Yes, mm. they are terrible. So, so um, you want to you want to give it a go and recite it? I'll give it a go, um, Mac. I mean, if the sound doesn't work, you just let me know, and I, you can take over. All right. Okay. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. And you've called it "If Only." I have, Macca. Okay, Margaret Harrison. If only I had known you were going to die, I'd take your hand and draw you close. I'd tell you. Yes, I'd tell you. Despite my awkwardness, despite my fears, that I loved you, really loved you. You'd be embarrassed at this outpouring of mine. You'd be kind but perplexed and brush it off with a smile, say something funny, discuss something new. But I'd pull you back and catch your gaze, hold your face if I had so you'd know, really know what you mean to me. I want you back home to come through the door, one hand on the wall as you take off your boots, to sit at the table and tell me a story, a flash of white teeth as you'd laugh and smile. Has this really happened? Are you actually gone? I can't take it in. I can't understand. Why you? It doesn't seem fair. In a blink you are gone. Now nothing's the same. So I look at my phone. It stays in my hand. I can't leave it alone. I scroll through your photos and watch you in film read the post, touch the screen, to conjure you up, to make you alive, to make it untrue. But the hum in my brain and the tightness inside can't let me forget what has happened to you. And soon the coffin will be carried high, the last mark of respect, our last contact with you. In the march of time, your name will be lost. No president, no general, no hero or king. Just our son, our brother, our lover, our friend. So we'll mark your passing. We'll bear your name, your life on our shoulders as they lower you down. Thank you, Michael. Oh, Margaret Harrison, thank you. Um, I hope to see you sometime, uh, but you're <laughs> you're always on the road somewhere, Margaret. But um, look, thanks. It's lovely to talk to you from Kununurra. I suppose it's warm over there, is it? It is, Macca, and we've had we had sixty mil here on the weekend in places around Kununurra, not particularly at our farm, but I think the wet's coming early, and it's certainly, you know, I'm worried, Margaret. I'm, I'm yeah. frankly, I'm worried about this La Nina three, La Nina, La Nina three. It sounds like a prince, doesn't it? La Nina three, it does. or, or it sounds like a racehorse. Um, yes, but, but, yes, but. Um, I fear what's, you know, because everything's so wet in New South Wales and oh. Victoria and and the dams, which, you know, three years ago, you know, people say, oh, it's 5% here, Macca, the dam, or 12%. And now they're all running and the Lachlan's running a bank and the Murrumbidgee, the Murray, and, and, and we haven't really started the wet season yet. And plus La Nina and cyclones that bring, you know, that big flood in... in uh, Brisbane in 1974 was the was the back end of a cyclone that came down the coast and uh, you know oh I know and 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 Mac, it, you know sometimes floods are way harder to handle than droughts too we're we're pretty good at handling droughts in Australia I reckon but floods can be particularly year on year on year like 
yeah. that's where it gets to be a problem. The last, so I la- feel for all those farmers out there. Yes, the last drought, which was, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever, I was amazed how Australia, you know, I can remember as a kid, you know, people, you know, there was television footage of people shooting their cattle. Well, but this last drought, there was trucks on the road everywhere taking hay. There was hay travelling all over Australia. And, and, you know, there was, you know, five or 10 or 15 groups and organisations just oh. taking hay everywhere. So it's the... the Amazing we, generosity. Yeah, yes. and, and we deal with droughts much better. But as you say, how can you deal with, you know, four metres of water raging through your house or over your land and washing all your... Well, look at that big flood we had up in oh Queensland when I rang you last oh. time. which was about three years ago oh. and all the cattle, that hundreds of thousands of cattle out to see to feed the crocs and stuff. And, I mean, Mac, the, the consequences of those sort of like that they just take years and years for people to recover like they're just terrible mm. like and anyway i so so i'm thinking about all those people in the east so um anyway and thank you for if only and uh yeah our thoughts go to tom gray and his family and his family and, yes. and, and but also as you say random events that happen all the time for people um that, and i know it's part of life but gee it's you can't deal with, you know, it's very hard to deal with and it's all you can say is, you know, give them a hug and have a cup of tea and just say that time heals all wounds, you know. That's that's life, isn't it, Margaret, as harsh as it, it may is. be? It is, but it, I, I think when young people die sort of like tragically like this, um, Maka, it is, um, it's just shocking and you really can't take it in. Like, no. Anyway. Margaret, Thank great you. to talk to you. A lovely, lovely Thank to hear you. your voice, doll. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Maka. See you Love later. Talking to you. Thank you. Bye, Bye. now.